Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. Today we're joined by Lanicia Rouse Tinsley, who is a multidisciplinary visual artist based in Houston, Texas, and the owner-creator of LAR Art Studio. Lanicia's portfolio includes a range of work in abstract painting, photography, teaching, writing, and speaking. Lanicia's work is deeply informed by her studies in sociology, theology, and culture. Her works are products of contemplative and intuitive abstract composition practices. She explores them in various perspectives that might illumine our everyday quests to make life meaningful and content while grappling with fundamental questions about our existence. Lanicia's art is known for its subtle manipulations of color, texture, materials, and form a practice of play that mirrors the intricate layers and landscapes of individual and communal formation, memory, experience, and history. Lanicia is artist-in-residence at Holy Family HTX. She is also the Director for Justice and the Arts with Project Curate, as well as the co-founding and co-creative director of the Imagine Noir Group, an international alliance and think tank of Black activists, artists, writers, scholars, and educators. Lanicia is a graduate of Duke University Divinity School and a graduate of Wofford College. Aside from shows and exhibitions, you can view her work every third Saturday at the Hardy and Nance Streets Open Studios and follow her process on Instagram at LAR Art Studio. Lanicia and I talked at the beginning of June in the early days after the murder of George Floyd. We met on Zoom on a dreary, for me in Nashville at least, morning, and agreed that we'd see how we felt about the conversation before sharing it publicly. I was having internet connection issues on my end, we were both tired, and yet we dug deep and sat together amidst the chaos and pain, and now share a conversation about the creative process spiritual grounding in uncertain times, the teachers Lanicia follows, how art making makes us better humans, and so much more. Lanicia is the perfect reminder that the work of love and justice is expansive work, and it begs us to stand our sacred ground, to open ourselves to change, and to deeply trust in the God who marches, dances, listens, learns, sings, and paints along with us. We're grateful you're here for this life-changing work, and we hope you'll stay with us for the long haul. Listen on, beloveds. Listen deep. Listen well. Listen wide. Well, Lanicia, it is very good to see you this morning, even though on a, on a computer screen one day we'll get to hang out in person. I trust that. Um, we're so glad that you would give us a little bit of your time and energy for the Academy podcast. And I'd love to hear kind of in your words, uh, where you come from, who you are. Mm. I like that question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think the spiritual landscape of my life is just as layered and textured and diverse as the literal (laughs) geography and landscape of my life. I have lived a number of places (laughs) and every place where I've lived, the land, the people, and even the places that I didn't necessarily live, but spent time in, I I truly believe they've all shaped uh, the faith that I claim and the spiritual um, life that I choose to live um, daily. I grew up in South Carolina a preacher's kid. My dad was a preacher and my mom, a writer, a dancer, a singer, an artist. Um, And that really had a huge impact. Those formative years, I lived in South Carolina the first, I guess, 21, 22 years of my life. And in the United Methodist Church, and my father was the first cross-racial appointment in South Carolina, which also added a whole new layer of just... um, 
talk about geography and land and the culture, um, the very air that um, we breathed and the waters we swimmed in, um, deeply informed uh, my theological imagination, my social imagination. And I, as much as there's parts of it that I'm constantly working to kind of let go of on a daily basis, I cannot deny that that was my home. Um, and those formative years have shaped me in ways that I am both grateful for, um, and I guess not even both grateful for, that I'm grateful for even the work that I am now having to do to kind of let go of and live into new things and allow the life and the geographies in which I now inhabit and dwell, um, shape and expand my idea of what it means to be human, um, who God is and can be in the world. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm really grateful for all the opportunities that I've had to, to live and dwell and be in places and spaces um, all over this world. Uh, because it's definitely enriched my life and um, has given me eyes to see in ways that I think if I'd stayed planted in South Carolina, it would have taken a lot more work. <laughs> I like to think that a lot more work to get at. Um, so I've had a really um, fortunate last 42 years of life with God. Where do you go from South Carolina? From South Carolina? Uh-huh. Yeah, so from there I was in North Carolina. I went to Div School in Durham and that those three years were definitely profoundly um, informative of my my faith and spiritual understanding um, and then from there I went to back to South Carolina believe it or not <laughs> uh, for a year and I ended up leaving there to go to England where I was a pastor in the British Methodist Church uh, for a year in Leeds, England. And the, that year, oh my gosh, talk about wow. grounding and centering and um, challenging in all the best of ways. I, I think that was the year where I really began to form spiritual disciplines for myself that I still carry with me today. And the parts of it that, and there are some things that I even grieve that I no longer hold on to. The pace of life there was so, was slower for me. And there was more in attention to um, like time around the table with friends and spending time in my garden. It was expected that I keep that garden cut and nice oh. <laughs> in the neighborhood. And those were things that just weren't a part of my life that I began to develop as a part of my spiritual rhythm of connecting with God, the earth, um, my community in which I lived and myself. And so um, we also, I had two days, a study day and a Sabbath day, right? Where I would take that Sabbath day and I would go out to the Dells and just be with nature and um, follow my curiosity and adventure. And um, yeah, and just kind of live and be in ways that I hadn't before. And, um, and prayer was an important part of my daily rhythm of life and time, like I said, time around the table with people. So anyway, England, that time in Leeds, um, I cherish it greatly. And I, I remember when I came back, because I came back to Nashville, Tennessee, to be in ministry, youth ministry there. And there were moments when I would just like, we'd get out of the car, I was living with my sister, and I would just um, stop as she's talking to me and walking and I'm just staring up at the sky. <laughs> and I'll never forget one night she stops and she's like, let me see, you just see this world so differently now, mm. um, having been back, you pay attention to the smallest of things. And she's like, it's really beautiful to me. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, like you're just staring up at this sky that we would normally just be like, okay, it's another night and move on. But I do think there was definitely this shaping um, while I was there, just the beauty of the ordinary. Um, mm. And part of that had to do with me living in a space out of a country for the first time. Um, and so everything was just so like, Oh, beautiful and new and fresh. And I could see um, just the divine beauty and just at all. And um, yeah, so there was my eyes just begin to look at the world with dazzling eyes. And um, mm. I still try to cultivate that. Um, but now I'm in Houston. So I left Nashville and moved to Houston, Texas. And yeah. I've been here nine, almost 10 years now. And um, it's slowly but surely becoming the place that I call home. So. Yeah. It's your art, right, that took you to Houston? 
at, um, I guess it's the Upper Room event, Soul Feast, I met um, Rudy and Juanita Rasmus, who were doing work in downtown Houston with men and women living on the streets. And Juanita had this idea of doing an art project with men and women. It was a therapeutic art and economic project. And just her own journey, she knew that she could not give it flesh, um, didn't have the energy at that point to give it flesh and direct it, and she needed someone to do so. And so it was a time when I needed a new thing, and um, they invited me to come, and I went with some fear and trembling and lots of joy and joyous anticipation to lead that project. And so, yeah, yeah that brought me to Houston. Yeah. Of course, folks who listen to this know that I'm from Texas. And what? so, um, yeah, I mean, West Texas, but I have family in Houston and all of that. So I, my heart expands when, when I'm talking to someone in Texas or thinking about that. And uh, so that's a, that I know well. So amazing humidity, right? <laughs> Amazing. And it's so funny how life works, right? Because I remember um, in my early 20s, I just always articulate a dream of seeing every state in the whole US of A before I die. And I would often say, well, if and if I don't make it to Texas, that's okay. <laughs> and God brought me to Texas. <laughs> life brought me to Texas. Yes. And yep. I have been met by so much life and mm. love and just yeah community all the things here and i'm so yeah it is becoming and it's home um for me and um yeah so glad i got to texas <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're the better for it absolutely another question i like to ask folks is what would you share with us that we wouldn't necessarily find on paper or a website to what and to whom are you continually being called? Well, I try as best I can to um, share as my life um, and all I do in the spaces and opportunity places where I can. Um, I am an artist and I was in ministry for about 14 years before. I began um, in this vocation as professional artist um, in 2014. And I love my work. I see the years that I spent in ministry um, as being an important part, um, formative part of the artist that I am. Um, I, I see aspects of my ministry life in my work. Uh, there are certain things that I bring into my vocation as artists that were deeply form informed by um, concepts of the table, um, ways that, that I understand the kingdom vision that Jesus lived and taught. Um, yeah, so I would not say that I am a pastor anymore. I am an artist who is trying to live a Christ-centered life every day and so that definitely um, informs my work I love to dance <laughs> you wouldn't see that on paper I think dancing is a um, I love being in my body and this way of releasing and feeling through all my whole being um, the rhythms of the music and of life I I have a partner who's my best friend my husband Cleve and we do a lot of work together here in the community, here in the city. And that is a very, really important part of the life in which I live, um, the work that we're able to do together. And um, yeah, and his support and companionship has definitely helped me to live into my vocation, which I truly believe, as James Baldwin said, is to um, do this work as an artist of making the world a more human dwelling place and to add to the beauty of this world. And so, um, yeah, my partnership with Cleve is an important part of, of that work that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Love for you to tell us more about your work as an artist and what the creative process looks like for you. 
Um, what is the role of art in healing and how has it been healing for you throughout your life? And particularly in this time of COVID, as things are rapidly changing, uh, what does that look like for your creative process? So my process is, the work that I do is really all about the process. Uh, I, I really try to lean into creative processes in my studio practice that slow me down um, in our fast-paced, um, pragmatic world, I have found so much life in embracing a process that really draws me. I'm an abstract painter, and so I lean into abstraction because I do believe it draws me closer into um, the mystery of life. Um, there's this fostering of curiosity that happens in my process, uh, and the slowness of my process is really, my work is really layered and textured, um, intuitive and form. And so I may be creating a painting one week and then the next week I'm doing collages. And then three months from now, I may be creating cyanotypes. Um, so I'm truly allow my process, I hold it loosely in my hands. And I allow whatever is inside of me that needs to come out to be expressed in the form in which it needs to be expressed. And there's a lot of freedom in that for me. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I roll with that. I, I, and I really want processes that truly, I think one of the most important aspects of my work is that it slows me down. Um, and it gives me time to really be with the work. Um, to allow the work to become as I am also becoming and not forcing any piece of art that I create to be any one particular thing, uh, but to really allow the process to reveal um, what the piece needs to be. And so um, that's my process. It's, and it's different for each medium that I embrace at any given time, but those are the consistent kind of um, aspects, elements rather, that are part of the process that I, I do in my studio. I show up for myself at least five days a week. I'm usually in the studio six days a week. I'm fortunate enough to have a space uh, where my creativity can truly bloom and has found a home. And so I have just made it a point, a part of my discipline is to show up even on the days when it's really hard. Um, I think the art making processes, Helen Frankenhaller said this, that Thaler said this, that um, making art is like this magnificent struggle. And I think that is so true. Um, in each piece that I create, there is this, this magnificent struggle of becoming. Uh, some days, though, it's really hard to, um, to even just get there. But I find those are the days that um, I really need to push myself to show up the most. Uh, and I may not create anything that I want to be seen by the world. Um, but there is just something about the ritual in this world full of so much uncertainty and change. That ritual for me keeps me grounded and focused um, in the work that I know I'm called to do uh, in the world. And so I do show up. And there's part of the art process for me. You mentioned healing that is um, also cathartic. Uh, when I've always been a creative. Music and dance were my first love. I would sing in the church, um, lead worship music. And even when I was in ministry in England, I remember they called me the singing pastor because I carried my guitar with me everywhere. Um, music has been this place where I um, have definitely, yeah, the arts and music has been a place where God, I have connected with God in ways that, um, and have opened me up to myself that I do really cherish and value. And so art has always been important to me, but visual art was something that was new. Um, at the seventh grade, I decided I wasn't a visual artist. And so I didn't really pursue it. Uh, but then in 2011, when I came to manage the art project here in Houston, I began to sit in in art classes with my students and the therapeutic art as they did the artist's way. I would sit and I would eavesdrop in the back as a director working on my computer, but with always an ear just kind of listening um, 
to the wisdom of that of that was offered by both the students and the material of the artist's way. And I think some of that, I know that I took a lot of that in, even as I was just kind of on the periphery listening in. And when I found myself in a place totally shattered and broken when we lost a child prematurely, that toolbox that I had for for healing and journeying through that long, long night was full of art making tools um, that I began to pull upon um, on nights where I can sleep, I'd find myself with watercolors. And it was just this practice of just playing with color, not necessarily trying to create any particular thing, but just even having water and paints on a paper for me was was healing and allowed me to express feelings that I did not quite have the words for. Um, it became this prayer space really um, for me. And then I began to draw a little and I found myself as I was seeking love in real tangible ways in the world. Um, I saw a lot of it in nature and I would begin to draw like flowers that I would see. And it was like me seeking in the midst of my own, just like suffering and pain and just like this ugliness that was just so heavy upon me, really trying to create beauty, find moments of beauty and delight through works of my hands. Um, and so art then became um, also the space where I could, could release and could listen deeply um, could in many ways resist this concept that I couldn't, my body couldn't create. It's like, yes, I can. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. I would create. And that in itself was also healing, that form of resistance for me. Um, yeah. And so eventually in 2000, nine months later, actually, um, we lost AJ in 2013. And then September, 2014, I resigned from ministry full time. Mm -hmm. um, and, embraced a studio practice um yeah and so and how do you experience time uh when you're creating i experience time as a gift yeah. i i see time as not something to be conquered which i feel is how um, as one who's been formed and shaped to be, to, you know, to produce and to, um, we have these concepts of like time is money and all of these things like that, um, that are driven into us to be productive and quote citizens in this world. Um, I am really intentional about all aspects of my life, but especially in my studio of receiving gift as time as gift. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't rush anything. Um, I'm real present to the now, uh, as present as I can possibly be to the now. Um, and it's, I'm always aware of the life that has gone before me, the past. And then in the now, I'm, I'm also imagining, right, and hoping for a future, even if just thinking about the canvas, like I approach the canvas because I have hopes that it can become something, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is this kind of future aspect to it as well um, and hope and sometimes doubt in the midst of all of that, but there is that. But there's also always for me, like just really being attentive and present and um, yeah, just receiving it as this gift that I don't have to conquer. So what or who help you remain present? Yes. Wow. I have so many. I am honestly always learning. Like I am just a constant student wanting to like soak in all things. So this is by no means a comprehensive list at all. And yes, it will include both those who um, are living, those that I know. Um, I have a lot of teachers who I've never met who are still living and dead, right? And so I'll name a couple. Let's see. Toni Morrison, hmm. James Baldwin, 
Frank Bolin, Bowling, who's a painter, Sam Gilliam, who's also a painter, Howardina Pendle, who's a painter, Dr. Willie Jennings, who's an important part of my formation at Duke, mm-hmm. and a teacher, Juanita Rasmus, who's a pastor in the United Methodist Church, a voice that continues to teach me. Um, my sister, who's a poet, Sianna Rouse, is a teacher. I love poetry as a part of my creative process that I didn't mention. And um, I see it as a spiritual practice, sitting with poetry. And she has taught me a lot about that, which I'm grateful for. When I lived in Nashville, I had the privilege of having Reuben Job as a spiritual director, Bishop Reuben Job. And he taught me so much in the three years that we were able to journey together uh, spiritually about God, about the gift of time. Um, yeah, and how he lived his life, just all of who he was and his words um, have formed and shaped me. And I, I return to those times often in emails that he sent to me in moments when I forget sometimes. Um, I love Ruben. I have a lot of conversation partners as well, and I value those. And there are people who we would, it's a mutual kind of sharing of thought and experience that um, lifts us both up uh, or the group. Um, Cleve is definitely my um, husband, Dr. Cleve Tinsley, and Dr. Jessica Davenport are two voices that are constantly teaching and I'm in conversation with, and I'm thankful for. Howard Thurman is another voice. Yeah. So those are just a few. Yeah. There's a lot of them. There's a lot. That's right. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Helen freaking taller. I, I really have enjoyed bringing all that I gained from my theological education into this new space that I'm dwelling in um, vocationally with the arts and seeing places of intersection And in many ways, I'm having to learn um, a new language for articulating um, the work that I do and seeing the places that my spirituality kind of merges with um, and is an important part of the art that I make. um, So it's been fun to have partners, conversation partners and readings. I I read about artists all the time, their processes, especially Mm -hmm. I'm interested in and um, especially abstract expressionist artists. Um, and they have taught me a lot um, about not only my art form, but also just the philosophy and helped me better um, articulate my theology too behind my practice. So. Yeah. And that question kind of comes from uh, me following you on Instagram. And so much of what you share, of course, is sort of how you're working with the materials and, and how a, a canvas comes to life and becomes something other. But I also recognize recognize the teaching and the teachers and the poets and the writers and the other artists that you share. And of course, appreciate that so much uh, in my own artistic life and, and, um, and process. So, so yeah, thanks for that. Sure. Yeah. As you know, the Academy is all about the contemplative life that has to do with both the inner and the outer how we're cultivating our inner lives so our outer actions are rooted in love and justice. So let's talk a bit about the connection of spirituality and justice. How, in your view and experience, do they connect and play and dance together? Yeah, my... So I guess my justice kind of moral vision is shaped by my spirituality and faith right? It's informed by it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I do do a lot of work in, in very, in, a, in it's kind of unique ways, because as an artist, I think my sphere of influence is art, right? So I'm always thinking through how in my sphere am I doing the work of making this world a more just and equitable place, for all, and that is really deeply informed by um, who I understand myself to be as a child of God. Um, 
And so, yeah, and I think when the groups that I work with, like Imagine War and Project Curie, we're always talking about the importance of the imagination um, to do the work that we are doing, um, to name the places where injustice and um, inequality is real, and then to be about the work of imagining new possibilities. And in that work, art, making art, um, engaging and living with the arts helps to foster and inform um, an imagination that, that is so important to this work, if that makes sense. And um, it is deeply informed by the fact that we are all, I believe like creativity, imagination is just a part of our DNA. Um, it is a gift that we all have. And so in this work, cultivating that imagination, cultivating that creativity, making space for that, um, not only helps us to do that work of creating new systems, dismantling old and creating a new thing, um, of imagining possibilities for our neighborhoods where um, beauty and life and justice and equity is real, like realized in tangible ways. Um, it also helps to ground us and cultivate a resilience and a strength um, to keep going and to do that work. And so we try to make space um, for our team to, to tap into their creativity. We incorporate arts um, often in our gatherings um, as a way of doing Visio Divina to center us before we begin. Um, and we're really intentional about being inclusive in the artists and the work that we share. Um, we are really intentional about women and people of color artists, like really uplifting those imaginations and helping us to engage um, the visions of the world and those stories. And so, yeah, art, that's how I, and then even in my work that I do, I'm always thinking about how to add to the beauty of this world. And I think that's justice work <laughs> in ways, I do. Um, and how James Baldwin's The Creative Process is just one of those essays for me that I constantly return to. And it's a word that reminds me that the role of the artist is to spend that time seeing ourselves. Um, he uses the words like to explore the wilderness within ourselves so that then we can do be about the work of making this world a more human dwelling place in the work that we offer. And so I take that really, really seriously. And that kind of introspection and contemplation work is um, the spiritual work for me, right? And, yeah. and in making the world a more humane and human dwelling place is a justice work um, yeah. for me. And so the two are just always kind of in conversation. I love how you used, when we were talking before, you wrote me something about the dance that they play together because it, it really is a dance. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how I understand it. And I, and then in just other ways, like art is for me, I want art to be accessible to as many people as possible. And so I am always thinking um, about who is not at the table and how do we create a table for more people to access? Um, and that for me is shaped by my, I, as a kid, I loved the communion table. Like that's one aspect of church and um, community. I just, I will never let go of just the profound life that can be found in wisdom and imagination kind of sparking for me that is found at the communion table, that liturgy and even that bodily act of gathering at the table. And so in my studio, I have one of the first things I had placed in my studio is a big table oh. that could seat 12 people because I wanted to host other people in my studio so that they could experience the gift of creativity that I get to do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, um, I also realized like, Art workshops, art spaces, art opportunities are often so expensive that people cannot, not everyone can access that. 
um, and go into those spaces. And so I'm constantly, like I was thinking and partnering with local church community here in town to think of ways of making that table accessible to people. And so what does it look like for us to hold quality, good workshops, art workshops for free or pay what you can? Um, everyone is welcome. You know, like those kind of yeah. things where my spiritual line of faith are constantly shaping the practice that I do in my work. And mm-hmm. um, I love when coffee shop owners or small business owners invite me to help curate art in their space, because that's a space where everyday folks, for the most part, you know, can go. And I love participating in public art projects, um, just because I think that's that beauty kind of bringing in art and creativity um, for all people is just so important and is indeed a justice work. Um, I think just like we hunger for bread and thirst for water, um, we long to create and we hunger um, to engage the arts and um, we hunger to engage beauty and beauty is such a loaded word. Um, But I think when I say that, I mean, to encounter things that are created that bring life and that connect us to um, to a spirit, to, yeah, to a reality that's much larger than ourselves and leaves us, brings us to stillness and awe and wonder. Mm. And um, that yeah. can look, take many different shapes and forms. Mm. How are you experiencing communion table right now in this time of uh, the global pandemic and staying home? And yeah, what's, what's that looking like for you and your community? In this time of isolation. <laughs> right. This time where they're like, stay yeah. away. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I've always been one who has um, embraced technology and in ways I haven't been afraid of it. And, um, within certain bounds, right? Like just how I navigate it in um, space I make for it in my life with intentionality. So I found a lot of like the table being through Zoom conversations um, with friends and FaceTime. Oh my goodness, so good. I'm so grateful for that technology. Um, We have a group of friends now that are doing like talks and we played games. We had like a group night, you know, where everyone on there together and we're playing games and laughing and eating and drinking um, in our separate spaces, but to get brought together by this computer. And that to me, is just like, wow, right? What a gift for communion. And then, you know, my Instagram community, that space has been, um, I I approach my Instagram almost like a table where I'm inviting people in um, to be in communion with me and community with me. And so, really moving in this time in ways that I think can help um, just add, just bring, let people know that they're not alone to, I think we, people are like longing for like beauty right now in ways. And so really trying to think about like how in, in this space even am I adding to the beauty of this world and um, how am I, what kind of questions am I inviting people to sit with and, um, sharing more of the, the poetry that I'm reading and the things that I'm encountering in the sphere that are bringing me life and sharing those um, and sharing the generosity of other people, you know, like there are so many, so, you know, like just really trying to create yeah. a space where I am receiving and also generously trying to like just give and to support other people um, who are also in the struggle and, um, along with me. And so that space has been a space, honestly, for me, that has been somewhat like a communion table. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just been fun, even with the church that I partner with to imagine ways that we can um, offer kind of community, creative community to people through our platforms, our social pro- media platforms, yeah. um, has been just really a fun process to engage in with them yeah 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 it's I think somewhat limited of us if we think that spirit doesn't and can't use everything 
<laughs> you know, in particular, the internet. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that's, that's a grand invitation, I think, uh, for a lot of us to, to continue to kind of expand in the ways that we, um, I think, already join the expansiveness that yeah. the spirit is and reading. It, so. You know, it's like a both and too, right? Because I also, during this time, uh, I travel a lot with my work, but I've yeah. been planted. And that's been new for me to really not um, to be planted in Houston for weeks on end in my studio. And it's been really fruitful mm. to not have to break up a studio day to go to a coffee meeting, then back to the studio, then another meet, you know, like figure like this. It's been really a time of hard. Some of the isolation has provided some hard reflection, you know, introspection um, that, the space of solitude often gifts us with. Uh, and, um, yeah. but then also just a lot of fruitfulness in stillness and solitude, aloneness too, and my communion with myself that, and God that has really been a gift too. Um, and so I'm thankful that I have that both in and trying to, it's also created the space for me to really reimagine you know because there's a future after COVID I do believe this for us Mm -hmm. um for some of yeah just there's a future after COVID and so what does it look like to embrace practices now that will be sustainable and not necessarily react and try to do all the things because you know um but really trying to move intentionally even with the ways in which I create communion on these platforms that I have, and then in my own life, um, so that it is sustainable. And also moving with grace for myself to be able, once COVID has passed this season, to let go of what needs to be let go of and live into the new thing. But I'm always kind of thinking too about moving, you know, with intentionality even both. I, you know, we have, um, being outside and running, we found um, has been, a real gift um, during as we live with the realities of now. Um, yeah. Yeah. The various realities. I mean, I just think that COVID, this pandemic has brought to the forefront so many of the systemic um, injustices and, and then if we do like, kind of even take like a micro, even my own, like I've noticed like my own stuff that I've kind of, mm-hmm you know, kind of been able to ignore because just doing life as usual, that the space that we're dwelling in now has just brought a lot of that to the forefront, both in a large micro, macro scale and micro. Um, and so I've had to think of practices in many ways of, of confronting those things and living with those things. Yeah. Um, and some healing has come. Mm some great insight um, for work that I want to continue doing and invest more time and energy in um, on a more corporate, like communal level. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so many things have been brought to the forefront during this time that, um, yeah, that are important for us to kind of sit with. Yeah. So I just wonder what you might say to those, and you alluded to this earlier that, you know, creativity, artistry is part of our DNA, but I often hear people say, I'm not creative or I'm not artistic, playing into the idea that artistry and creativity are reserved for a special few. So what would you say to those who think creativity is only reserved for a few? Yeah. It's a language game. And it's unfortunate, too, that we, at such a young age, begin to box people into certain identities and ways of being in the world. Um, And so to everyone, I say, you are are creative. Like, it's a part of who you are. And even if it's not, um, there are professions, right? Like, I'm really... There are artistic professions where 
creativity, like tapping into that, exploring that, articulating that is just a part of the daily work that they do. It's called artists Mm -hmm. in all of its forms. But every day we are creating our lives. (laughs) Like we are making creative decisions every day of our lives, all of us like from what we wear to the food that we're going to eat to how we shape and craft our days um, to how we spend our money, how we received the time that we are gifted with, like all of these things. And so, and that's, that's an act. Those are all acts of creativity. And so how are you cultivating that within you um, in ways that, help you like be a healthier um, human? Um, How are you cultivating those things in ways that you are adding to life, um, to this world in ways that are are life-giving ways, right? And not ways that are training for both you and for others. Um, And I think it does require um, creativity and imagination. We need more people to to realize the creative potential that we all have mm. um, for the good of the world. I do. I just believe it. Um, and so I, I, I am a big proponent of reminding people because I just think we've forgotten, you know, it's just we've forgotten. And um, you, you as a kid, right? Every kid, that's just so cliche and it's, but it's so true. Like who's the artist in the room and they're all going to raise their hands. Um, and so at some point we've just forgotten that part of ourselves. And so I try in my best, most gentle, loving way to remind people and, um, to create spaces where people can remember and, um, delight in that part of themselves. You know, I'm a writer and I have on my right hand, the word trust tattooed because for me there's this connection of trusting myself that is part of the creative process um, and part of being a human i've i found in my process the more i allow and learn how to allow a piece to become and to slowly become and become more patient in that and um give a little bit of agency to the paint and materials as well as like claiming my own agency in the conversation, right? And that whole process, um, I found too, it's helped me be more gracious and create more space Mm. for myself and other people and their own becoming. Um, And I often say like art making has made me a better human Mm. (laughs) um, in all aspects of my life. And I do, I truly believe that. Uh, and, um, yeah. And so that's, that's one of the things that I'm always thinking, like, what's my takeaway from this time at the art table? You know, like, what's my takeaway from this time with this piece? And, um, a constant takeaway is always just the, is reflecting on what it required of me to allow something to become and how magnificent it was, um, to really accept, to learn how to accept what is, you know, and to um, and be delighted and challenged and let go of expectations and um, and trust, like all of those things, are such a gift that I think the art making process can give us. Regardless if you're trying to get stuff in a gallery or if you're just in your home and you like to color, like there's just something we can learn from that that can enrich the rest of our lives. And so um, I do really like to encourage people just to make a little space, even if it's just 15, 20 minutes, especially during times like this, you know, where there may be heightened anxiety um, and stress. And I feel like life is always full of uncertainties, but now there's just like this heightened, a lot of people are aware, becoming aware of that. Yeah. And so in that awareness, that creating space just to, to be still and to embrace a practice that gets you into this flow of both head, heart, mind, body, like all of those things can be really life-giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us how we can follow along with you and your work. Sure. So on all of the 
social media platforms, I am Lar, L-A-R, Art Studio, mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter, so Facebook, and Instagram. And then I have a website, um, larartphotography.com. And you can find out about my work and upcoming things there. Yeah. Um, you can find me there. Okay. Yeah. So I just wonder if as we close today, you might have a prayer, a blessing, a song, um, some wisdom from one of the teachers uh, that you would share with us. Well, let's see. Maybe I'll read this poem. It's one that I have returned to a lot by Joy Harjo, um, the poet laureate for the United States. Uh, It's called Perhaps the World Ends Here. The world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it has been since creation, and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it, babes' teeth at the corners. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it. We make women. At the table, we gossip, recall enemies, and the ghost of lovers. Anyway, it goes on, and I I like the end when it says, we have given birth on this table and have prepared our parents for burial here. At this table, we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing and crying, eating of this last sweet bite. Thanks for listening along with us today. For more information on how you can begin and continue the work of anti-racism, visit the Academy resources page at academy.upperroom.org backslash resources. And if you have questions about the work of anti-racism or about this particular podcast episode, please email us at academy at upperroom.org. Share this podcast with others. May it be a prayer, a guide, an inspiration, a beacon of hope, a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of us all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides in the area of spiritual formation and to learn more about Academy offerings, visit us online at academy.upperroom.org. Thanks for listening.